Good morning, and welcome to New York Sports and Beyond on 98.7 ESPN, where our goal every Sunday is to entertain, enlighten, and expose you to information that can lead to positive change in your life. I'm Larry Hardesty. My guest this morning is licensed therapist Estia Brown. There are a number of topics up for discussion with her this morning, from anxiety to your kids returning to school in the COVID-19 world, and how professional athletes deal with depression and some things in between. So if you're preparing a nice Sunday breakfast or maybe you're chilling on a Sunday morning, perhaps you're preparing for a virtual sunrise service or you're about to hit the road for an early run, hope you got your mask and remember social distancing. And we thank you for making us a part of your morning. We'll provide some tips with mental stress on New York Sports and Beyond returns on 98.7 ESPN. Welcome back to New York Sports and Beyond on 98.7 ESPN. I'm Larry Hardesty. My guest has appeared on The Bill Cunningham Show. She's appeared on CNN, TV1E, and MSNBC, to name a few. A seasoned journalist, Estia Brown, has done everything from interviewing pop culture superstars to writing about self-help. She's worked in an array of renowned publications, including Ebony, In Touch Weekly, Jet Essence, Teen People, The New York Daily News, Entertainment Weekly, and more. In addition, she's a trained life coach and licensed therapist. She's one of us, a native New Yorker, a proud alum of Brooklyn Technical High School, Howard University, Columbia University Graduate School of Journalism, and the New York University Silver School of Social Work. So grab your pencil, pen, and a piece of paper. Let's welcome back licensed therapist, journalist, life coach, all around nice person, Estia Brown to New York Sports and Beyond. Hi, Estia. Hi, how are you? I'm I doing like great. all around nice person, yes. <laughs> well, you know, I, I only speak the truth on this show. That's all I do. Fact, fact. <laughs> That's it. That's what it's about. We got a lot of stuff to discuss. So we're going to really put you to work this morning because my audience is struggling and trying to focus and deal with so many things that's going on as to you in, in the world that we call life. <laughs> what life right. is what life is going on. Let's start with the immediate thing. I've got parents. And I've got students who are going back to school. Let's start at the elementary kind of school level. For the parent, the apprehension of their child going back, whether it's in a, uh, you know, whether it's a full in school, whether it's full at home, whether it's three home and two in school or vice versa. What should they try to wrap their head around as this goes through the, the, the early parts of the school year? I know this is such a crazy time. And I know a lot of parents are anxious about their children. Uh, the first thing that I tell folks um, to do is really pay attention to real dangers versus real concerns, right? So we know that anybody can potentially get the coronavirus, but we know that people who are in a higher bracket of danger zones are people who have uh, pre-existing conditions. Um, so I, I definitely think it's important for parents who have children who are more vulnerable to to make the necessary adjustments based on that, right? And and that's that's something that's on an individual case by case. Now, real concerns are the practical things that you want to know just to keep your children safe in general. And, and I think that being empowered and informed around that can help ease some anxiety. So what are some of the things you want to know? What is the ratio in the classroom? Um, how has the curriculum been amended? Uh, what are the teachers' um, new standards and practices? What are the safety protocols 
that are in place to ensure that the children are as safe as possible. So that's big picture, right, in terms of the system. And then the other thing you want to do is really speak to your child about um, understanding the practices that they need to maintain, right? Because this is a whole new world. Like kids don't Kids can barely, like, keep barrettes in their hair when they're in elementary school <laughs> and their book bags in there. So, but, so asking them to have, you know, hand sanitizer handy, to wear the face mask, to not talk closely to your friends, to not drink after your friends. These are all things that are, are going to be skills that have to be, the kids have to be reminded of and have to be normalized. So I think giving the kids the tools and making sure you're talking to them on a practical level around that can help ease some of your anxiety. And the biggest thing I always tell parents is don't expect things to be perfect, right? People will say this is a new normal. Uh, it's abnormal, right? Mm-hmm. So things are, things are not going to go smoothly. You know, there will be hiccups. There will be times when your children are more anxious. And I really encourage parents to be mindful for looking um, at signs for that. Kids who are, are more antsy or more restless or more anxious, you know, you want to make sure that you are speaking to them and talking to them and asking them questions and and kind of just normalizing that this is an uncomfortable, different time and that we have to make the best of it and that, and that things aren't okay, but we have to move forward. You know, when I watch the news, I see a lot of times um, there, there are uh, news packages and these are like stories, basically, you know, how unhappy people are because, they're not used to being uncomfortable, right? And so the thing that came to me is there's so many demographics of people who are used to operating um, in discomfort and when mm-hmm. things are not perfect. And this is a muscle that a lot of people are stretching for the first time, right? That's part of the privilege of being in a certain socioeconomic class, maybe being per, uh, part of a certain race, and, and also being in a country that hasn't had turmoil um, in, in recent decades, right? So people haven't had to deal with anything that isn't pleasant or uncomfortable. But the reality is that people all over the world, and even in this country, over the course of history, have had to deal with troubling times. And this is just one of them, right? So my last tip for parents is find ways to make sure you are de-stressing, number one, yourself, and then de-stressing with the kids. So what does that mean? If you have, you know, a household where you can take a walk and and that will be your private time, do that. If it's taking a bath, if it's going to exercise, if it's going for a job, whatever it is to help you kind of have 30 minutes, an hour, 15 minutes, 10 minutes. If it's meditation, you know, whatever it is to kind of Mm -hmm. just help you center and relax your body and take off some of the physical stress, right? Like when we do exercise, when we meditate, it releases some of the physical tension in our body. That's great. And understand that our children need that too. Why? Because they're cooped up more than they have ever been, right? So there's a release in being able to go to summer camp and go to school and go on vacation and go on whatever you normally have been doing would do this period of the year for the last six months. It has not been happening. So you need to find ways to make sure your kids are de-stressing. And that's besides them watching video games or movies, you know, so take them outside um, help them, you know, run around and, and play off some of that anxiety. Set up intimate play dates with people who you feel, you know, have ha- have similar health scenarios and it's not compromising anyone to help them get that interpersonal interaction that they are really craving and need at that elementary school age. 
Estia, we always talk about young kids being resilient, that they can handle stuff. We should be honest with them and speak with them. And here's a scenario, and you kind of touched on it. I'm going with that and another direction, is that, you know, these are kids who haven't been around their friends, so they're going to gravitate to them. They're going to be happy to see them. So when you talk about make sure you remind them, can't drink after your friends, as sometimes they've done, it's a little different. But what about the other child, Estia? What about the child who is now kind of feel swamped because they haven't been around their friends. There's more people around that they've been around. Is there a possibility that that could happen? And how does one deal with that? So you're asking specifically to, to kids who are feeling overwhelmed, having yes, to re-engage exactly. with yes. this. With, and I think that's when it's really important to know your child, right? So what are some symptoms of anxiety, restlessness, pain, um, for kids being hyperactive or underactive, um, being tired, being whiny. So it's going to really be up to you to ask those questions and not just um, kind of write it off as, oh, it's just a bad day. You know, when they come home from school or, you know, if they're coming off of the, off of, um, you know, the Zoom conference with yeah, some children yeah. are as well, asking them, how are you feeling? What was it like? You know, and, and if kids can't answer in that moment, wait for another opportunity to engage them. This is when you really have to practice effectively communicating and then also looking at the signs that your child is different and figuring out how to balance that energy out. Because some kids will feel overwhelmed. You know, some kids are sad having to go back to school because they might miss the intimacy of spending so much time with their parents, right? That because of busy schedules in the past, you wouldn't do it or feel overwhelmed because they're like, there are all these rules and I'm just scared. You know, the concept of germs is something that's overwhelming for adults. But even when you spend it to break it down on a basic level for kids, it can cause anxiety, right? Like, are the germs outdoors? Are the germs on people? Are, are they on both? Are they on things? Right. So how does that mean I navigate? So I think it's really important for you to talk to your kids. And I also think you have to be OK with giving children breaks. Right. Mm -hmm. So we live in a society where, you know, it's often, you know, push academically, push to socialize, push to do this. I think it's important to really figure out if your child needs a little bit of a time out. Right. If maybe even though they can go to school, going to school isn't working for them. How do we figure out how to adjust that, you know, to maybe gradually integrate it and realize this is not going to be a reality for everyone, because some people are working and they cannot be a teacher and a full-time employee yeah, at right. all, right? That's, so then that might mean, okay, how do I troubleshoot with my, my student, my, my child's teacher and the school to see what are some of the resources that they have in place for kids who just aren't adjusting well? What are little treats that we can do? What are little rituals we can create, you know? Like maybe writing out about your day or having five minutes to scream and yell and stomp after we get home because we hate it for now. And, mm. you know, like what are the things that will help get that mm. tension off of your child and let them know that it's okay, but this is something that we have to figure out how to cope with. And I think that that's really the takeaway. You are modeling and grooming your child to have healthy coping skills for stress. Because while a pandemic is, you know, on a scale from one to 10, definitely a 12, as things transition, there will be times in life where your child has stress on level seven, stress on level 15, right? And we have to teach them how to manage stress correctly. And we do that, number one, by talking to them and figuring out what works for them, 
asking them those hard questions, hearing what they have to say and not dispelling it and not assuming because they're small, they're, they're younger and they don't have the added stressors of paying bills and figuring things out that stuff isn't hard, but also modeling how we handle stress. So one of the things I've been talking to a lot with my adult clients is like, we have to stop saying that wine and beer is the way to cope. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because what do, yeah. what does that model for children? We have to stop ordering everything online because what does that model for children as healthy coping mechanisms? Right. So we have to do, we have to do some of the work to, to help show them and teach them how to do some of the work themselves and, and be okay with figuring it out. Parents are not expected to be perfect. Kids are loving. Kids are going, as long as they feel loved, as long as they feel that you're showing up for them, they will have a secure attachment with you and things will ultimately be better than they were. They won't be perfect, but they will be better. Estia Brown is my guest, journalist, life coach, and licensed therapist. You're listening to New York Sports and Beyond here on 98.7 ESPN. I'm Larry Hardesty. When we return, anxiety is normal for your child to go from elementary school to middle school to junior high school to college, but in the COVID-19 scenario, how is it heightened? We'll discuss that next on 98.7 ESPN. You're listening to New York Sports and Beyond on 98.7 ESPN. I'm Larry Hardesty. Let's continue our chat with licensed therapist and life coach, Estia Brown. I'm going to get back to the kids in a second, but what you just said, Estia, is is true. The parents aren't perfect. But doggone, we feel like we have to be, right? We feel like the pressure of, we're, that's our job to take care of our kid. That's our job to make sure that we put them in the best situation. And and when we can't protect them, there is a sense of failure that permeates us and, and just takes over our being. How do we, how do we deal with that? How, how, do we, how do we not be so hard on ourselves? I think the first thing is to acknowledge, you know, that, you are being hard on yourself. A lot of times people set up unrealistic expectations and they don't even realize how hard they're being on themselves. So to acknowledge it, there are a lot of funny memes and videos um, with um, actors playing out, you know, anxiety and, and stress and all of these different things that really show us how we are really talking ourselves into thinking that we're a lot less than we are. Uh, the second thing that I talk to my clients a lot about is the fact that often the things that we're trying to do for our children aren't really for our children, right? They're hmm. to make up for the things that we wow. felt we should have had. They're to make wow. up for the things that we missed out on growing up, right? And if you think about it big picture, you, you want to acknowledge like where your values lie uh, at the core, right? So if you're trying to teach your child to be a person of, who has integrity, who is a good person, who values people over things, who values making healthy choices, a lot of the other ish doesn't matter, right? So it doesn't matter if, you know, dinner is perfect and on time and, and, and cook a home-cooked meal every day. What matters is that we're spending time together and that you let your child know that, I'm, you know, I'm doing my best to provide, you know, this meal and I might be a little stressed. If we don't want them to value things, we want them to value people and character, then we can't give them things all the time when, when we're stressed or the things that we think that they deserve for, you know, standard achievement, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, if we want them to manage stress well, then we can't give them um, maladaptive coping mechanisms, right? So we can't take them shopping when we're stressed. We can't buy them food, you know, treats, candy, junk food when we're grumpy mm. or stressed. 
You know, we can't watch video games all, all day or movies all day when we're stressed, right? Because those are the things that we're teaching them. So be okay with not being perfect. Be okay with saying, you know, there were some things that I didn't get as a child, but I turned out okay. These are the qualities and the characteristics that I would want to learn and improve from, from not the things, right? The qualities right, right. over things. So if you want your child to be a better person, if you want them to feel love, show them love through actions, interactions, not things. And that's at the core. Give yourself a break. Know that you don't have to be perfect. Know that the family who you wanted to emulate because of the things that you felt were lacking in your household or the things that you're trying to live up to behind the scenes, there were still issues that you weren't aware of. And all things considered, let's say that there is someone who was a perfect 10 and you wish to emulate them. You're not that person. You will never be in their shoes. You will never have their situation. You are you. So you have to be the best version of you. And be okay with that because you're also trying to teach your kids to be okay with who they are. Mm. So if you're constantly trying to push and, and act like, you know, something is something that it's not, what is that modeling for your kids? A level of insecurity that they will pick up on and they will then emulate. So be okay. Be okay with loving yourself. Be okay with loving your imperfections. Be okay with not always being able to give kids everything that you want them to have. And focus on focus on giving them the things that they need. You make it sound so easy. <laughs> can you tell that I'm an auntie? <laughs> yep, I can tell. <laughs> I'm an auntie. You know, so I think that the, the one of the things that informs me from personal perspective, aside from like you know, of course we have like the tool aspect, right? So I know mm-hmm. the tool. Sure. Personal perspective. I was a child, right? Yeah. So I had parents, and and one of the things we forget as adults is what it was like to look at life from a child's eyes, Mm. right? And Mm. I remember my parents perceived wins and perceived failures versus what actually was meaningful and impactful to me. I remember the things that I was crying and moaning about as a teenager or a tween that in hindsight, I laughed at as an adult Mm -hmm. because I realized the things that were the most important. I tell a story all the time of um, there was a a trip, a road trip that I wanted to take uh, with my girlfriends when we were seniors in high school to go visit a bunch of colleges. And, you know, I was a little bit of a a fast talker and I was omitting some of the details. And my mother, who was a a police detective, figured out Uh what I was omitting, which was Mm. that there were no adults on this trip. It was just going to be girlfriends taking a road trip (laughs) across four states. And she quickly was like, you can't do it because you guys are not seasoned drivers and you don't know what it means to be on a road trip like that by yourself. So I'm going and I, I cried and moaned. And out of all the things that I remember about my time as a kid, the thing that I hated the most was that she went and the thing that I loved the most is that she went. Right. So I don't remember the sneakers that I begged for, the sweet 16 gifts that I moaned for, like with value. I remember she pushed to go on that trip and I needed her. I needed that time. I needed that wisdom. Right. So we were, as you get older, your perspective changes also on the things you wanted as a child and what was important to you at 10, 12, 15 versus in hindsight, the things that your parents are pouring into you, the wisdom, the time, the sacrifice that they're making. 
and, and I think it's so important for, for parents to remember that as well. It's a great point. It's a great point. I got one other thing for the kids before we leave uh, that part of our conversation this morning. And that is, we talked about anxiety, but let's talk about it even heightened in the fact of you've got elementary school going to middle school, middle school going to high school, high school going to college, and you're going to different, you know, tougher courses, uh, more work, and a different environment. How does that anxiety play out in addition to the fact that you've got not in school all the time or not at the college all the time, but, you know, you, you might be distance learning in, in, in all cases? Yeah, I think that that is such a great question, right? Because, for, again, for everyone, it's going to be different. One of the things that I've noticed with clients that I'm speaking with is increased apathy among youngsters, right? So mm. especially kids making those big transitions. You graduated, you know, you kind of got over maybe not pomp and so circumstance for graduation, but now I'm entering junior high school or high school, and I can't meet my new friends. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I can't engage in any of the social activities that would help define that transition. I can't create a tribe that will help support me through those transitions. And that is a very tough spot to be in. Right. To me, that lack of socializing during that transition point is more detrimental than celebration for graduation. Right. Because graduation is a great milestone, but you can celebrate in different ways. But learning more about who you are, you know, as you're turning 13, 14, 15, um, without the benefit of that social interaction is a challenge. So it's going to be even more important for parents to be understanding of children as they're going through that change. Number one, look out for indifference, right? Apathy is going to be the biggest, biggest challenge for those children because, you know, how do I stay excited about learning? about developing in a certain way, about um, a new milestone, when I don't really get to experience it at all. So I think it's so important to talk to your children about how they're feeling and about ways to help them become more comfortable during that transition. So what are some of the practical things that you can do? Like, So some people are going to school and some people aren't. So for those who are going to school, I think it's very important for the parents to understand what socializing can look like for, for those children integrating, how to get them connected with their freshman or incoming class in smaller pockets and smaller groups. Uh, are clubs happening? Because clubs are a really big way to find your tribe. And finding your tribe is important because it helps normalize who you are, right? And create mm -hmm. rituals and develop your identity. So how can we create, you know, engagement for clubs and activities via Zoom? How can we create engagement in smaller pockets to help them feel like, okay, I'm finding more of myself. I'm excited about learning and meeting new people. Um, for those who are staying home, I think it's very important to make sure that you're helping them connect with their, some of their other friends from school, right? From their previous school. So they can talk about the challenges that they are having going into these new environments, right? And then they can kind of peer, uh, support each other in figuring out ways to make new connections because it's harder to make friends if it's totally without physical interaction, right? You can yeah. also talk to the, to the student, uh, to the teachers rather, about what are they doing to help create breakout groups to help kids connect and see who they might naturally have affinity with. 
What are some of the non-academic things that they're having conversations about to see who can connect naturally and create some of those peer groups? I don't want to, um, I don't want folks to underestimate how important friends are in helping define who you become as a tween and a teen, right? Mm -hmm. So I do think that it's important for parents to make sure that children are either transitioning into smaller new tribes, right? So they may only have two or three people that they're connecting with. How do we keep them engaged? Or that they're staying connected with their former tribe members. Mm -hmm. So that way, as they're making that transition and eventually getting to connect with new people, they still feel a sense of connection to someone. That there's someone that at their age that they can talk to about their interests, about how they're feeling, about what they're going through, about what they're curious about. Because that's going to be super important. There are also a lot of other milestones that are happening during those periods, like puberty. Hello. People are all going through different changes. (laughs) Right? Right. Your body's changing. Your voice is changing. Your hormone levels are changing. So expect ups and downs. Right? Expect there to be questions and concerns that they don't want to talk to you about. Yeah. So it's even more important for you to make sure they're finding their group. There's also going to be the natural affinity to have some type of connection with dating, especially with older kids. So you want to be mindful of who they're socializing with because you want to see where they're getting that fix and that energy from. Again, kids are on their devices. There are tons of different ways for them to connect with, with people who they're interested in in non-platonic ways. So you want to make sure that you're creating space to navigate that as safely as possible. None of this is fun. All of it is real. Parents, do not put your head in the sand around this. Your child, regardless of whether how innocent you think they are, has some interest in figuring out who they are as an individual outside of academics. Mm-hmm. So make sure that you're offering any support that you can to guide them in the right way. It's great. And, and the challenge is, as you mentioned, uh, is the fact that this is even more of a social media situation now than ever before. So now you're really kind of closed out. You, you, it, it really is the, the art of conversation to be able to chat with your, your child to say, hey, you know, you can always come talk to me. We can always talk about certain things. You have to really, hopefully you've had some time to build that up because you're really going to need it now when they can close you out even more. Absolutely. And parents, you have to be courageous about your engagement with your children. Um, One of the other things that I suggest is sometimes, you know, kids don't want to talk to their parents. There is going to be an auntie, an uncle, an older brother, an older cousin who you trust. And that's the person that you can be your ally in engaging them and making sure that they have their questions answered, that they can be honest about what supports they're needing. And that can also reinforce healthy boundaries. You know, um, cyberbullying, you know, inappropriate sexual um, contact on video via image, you know, via photos, via all of those things are things that will still happen. Right. So you want to give your your young adult, your child, your tween, your teen, the tools to navigate that safely. So if you aren't comfortable having those conversations with them or they won't talk to you, let's keep it real. Mm hmm. Who will they talk to about it? And that's the person that you want to make sure that they're connecting with. Again, this needs to be a trusted person 
you know, and you also need to make sure that you're checking in with your child about that relationship with that person as well, because, you know, um, safety and relationships, it, 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 there's so many issues that can arise. So I'm always telling people to be mindful, you know, so you want to make sure that you're not overly trusting anyone with your child, right? But creating outlets for them to find support where it's needed. It's great advice. Great advice. Next on New York Sports and Beyond, we'll explore depression in professional athletes and entertainers on 98.7 ESPN. Welcome back to New York Sports and Beyond on 98.7 ESPN. I'm Larry Hardesty. Let's conclude my discussion with journalist, life coach, and licensed therapist, Estia Brown. Estia, I'm going to switch gears. And, you know, it's funny, in my years in in broadcasting and, and talking about sports, when I talk to fans, they look at athletes as really they have it made, they got no problems, they're making all this money, and we lose sight sometimes that they are human beings like us who just happen to have a, a, a special gift that allows them to do something special that many of us can't do. And more and more we're seeing how these professional athletes are opening up about some of the things they're going through. The latest was Dak Prescott of the Dallas Cowboys quarterback who talked about his brother's suicide and his own bouts of depression. And and Estia, we're hearing more and more athletes come out and talk about their battles with depression, the, the, the challenges they have, not meeting uh, special goals, not, not achieving championships, and sometimes just personal things that they're going through. Uh, I guess two questions here is that should, are, why are we surprised <laughs> that, that as human beings, athletes go through the same things? And as you look through this, what are some of the similarities that sometimes you hear from these athletes because they're battling depression? So I think the answer to the first question is, excuse me, why are we surprised? Because we create a fantasy around people, right? And so this is not just isolated to athletes or entertainers. This speaks to what we were talking about earlier. Like people, you know, will look at neighbors or friends or coworkers or, you know, whomever and create a fantasy about who they are, what's going on in their life. And inevitably it's always 120% better than what you're experiencing. Mm -hmm, Right. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the reality is that everyone goes through trouble. The thing that was most interesting and I think relatable about um, Zach's story is that um, his mom, unfortunately had a long battle with cancer and, and passed away and the, the children were caretakers in different ways, right? Mm-hmm. So the, the brother who ultimately committed suicide was the primary caretaker because he was in the household because the other siblings had gone away to school or to prepare for their careers in different ways. And this is something that's very common, right? Number one, you know, cancer affects millions of households in so many different ways. And it's a terrible thing to watch someone deteriorate from a disease, especially when it's a long and, and vicious battle. Uh, number two, they're often not support after someone has a death in their family that's particularly, you know, traumatic and has to be a caretaker for someone mm-hmm. who is sick, right? And so there's the person who's the caretaker who is dealing with that trauma. There's the normal death trauma. There's the trauma because it was a disease. There's the trauma and guilt because you're away from the household, even though it's something that's necessary for the betterment of yourself and the family. And these are not uncommon issues, right? 
How many people have a loved one who gets sick and then a relative, parent, aunt, sibling has to take care of them and then you're left dealing with the emotional wreck of that whole scenario? So I think it's super important for us to understand that not just athletes, but anyone can be going through a trauma. I think we saw this also with Chadwick Bozeman, right? Yeah. Who was battling cancer, you know, didn't share it. And there were a lot of assumptions about what was going on with him. And it was a, 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 a battle that he chose to keep private, but no doubt devastating, not just to him, but all of his caretakers. Yeah. You know, like as, as fans, people, you know, will miss what he represented, but he was a person in someone's day-to-day life who's lost. Similarly, when you look at Zach, you think, okay, life will be great. How great can it be when you lost your mom? Mm. When you weren't there for some of the most trying moments in her life, even though she asked you not to be there so you can get to the next level in your life, Right. So yeah, you're dealing with yeah. that on top of all of the pressure to be a professional performing in the top 1% and then still have career uncertainty because you're in a precarious profession and then there's a pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> right? So yeah. so it, there's a lot of pressure there. It's so easy to understand why you would be depressed. It was, It's so easy to understand why, you know, he, um, they, they, he also came under some... Um, scrutiny because he held an intimate gathering it's so easy to understand why him and so many other americans wanted to hold people around the world wanted to hold gatherings right because when you're depressed when you're down when you're isolated one of the best ways to lift your spirit is what surround yourself with some people that you love (laughs) yep right yeah and then even that doesn't work Right? I so mean, what important. I mean, Estia, what did they tell you? You can't afford to be alone in situations like that. You need to reach out and talk to somebody. You need to. You need to. And I think that it's important for people to realize that while you may have a person who seems like they're in an exemplary uh, scenario, that they are literally just like you. Yeah. Yeah. They are. They are going through the same levels of emotional ups and downs, and they may be caused by different triggers sometimes right so the pressure of being in the nfl may be different from the pressure of your day-to-day job but trust it's still pressure Mm -hmm. losing your mom is a universal hardship a universal trauma you know losing your loved one to suicide is a universal trauma so we have to uh number one understand that all of these kinds of experiences are normal, regardless of what your station in life is. And then we also have to use them as a way to normalize our own expectations for ourselves, right? Because you have people who have resources, right? Who are struggling because it's not about how much money you have. It's about having the insight, the resilience, the opportunity emotionally, the faith emotionally, the support emotionally to utilize the resources. That's what it's, it's about. It's true. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Estia Brown's my guest, journalist, life coach, licensed therapist. You're listening to New York Sports and Beyond here on 98.7 ESPN. I'm Larry Hardesty. All right, Estia, I want you to come clean. Yes. You have, you've given us great information. Uh, professionals always talk about it. A barber doesn't cut his own hair. Uh, a lawyer doesn't. <laughs> 
doesn't represent themselves in court. So when Estia Brown needs a boost, when she needs to speak to somebody, when she needs to, to talk to a life coach, when she needs a licensed therapist, when, when she's looking to you know, improve the great journalistic work that she's done, who does she talk to? Who does she go to? Well, unfortunately, nowadays, right, barbers are cutting their own hair. <laughs> <laughs> and they're not doing such a good job, I got to tell you. Some of them you can tell. <laughs> you know, I, I think you, you have to walk it like you talk it, right? I am mm. a huge proponent of solutions-based therapy. I have been in therapy for different reasons. You know, I have had death in the family. I've been in grief therapy. I've had personal traumas that I've had to work through. And then, yeah, I am also living through a pandemic, right? So I have utilized therapists as well. I also have a great host of mentors that I'm able to, you know, speak with when I'm dealing with certain types of problems. But if I feel myself getting stressed or if I know that there are things coming up, I, I go for a check-in with my therapist and it helps. You know, it's, it's important to be able to talk things out with a neutral party. And this is what I always remind people, clients, you know, people when I'm in seminars, the difference between the difference between the therapist and your friend is number one, their skills in the tactics, you know, the modalities and how you can help yourself, right? But number two, and this is the biggest thing, while they have a vested interest in your happiness, right? They do not have a vested interest in outcome. So mm. your friends, as much as they love you, as great of advice givers as they want to be, it's always going to be skewed a little, right, to the things that they want for you. This isn't, this isn't a bad thing. This is what it means to be loved. Hopefully you're dealing with healthy friends, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you want someone who's impartial, who can help you get to a space where you're making the best decisions for yourself. Decisions that not only you'll be able to live with, but you will actually make moves on, right? So a, a therapist is a neutral party that can help you tap into your inner strength, your inner desires, your inner goals, and create a treatment plan for you to move forward with you. Yeah, because, you know, um, the other interesting thing about that, and wow, I didn't even think of that way, and you make a great point, is it's sometimes, depending on the friend, Estia, they'll tell you what you want to hear, not necessarily what you need to hear. It, it depends on the person. It depends on their experience. It depends on how they see you. And, and sometimes that prejudices how they respond and the advice they give you as opposed to a therapist who's just going to be a neutral party. Absolutely. And then you also have friends who don't have your best interest at heart. And we have to address that. You have yeah, people that's true. In, in your tribe, in your crew, on your team that you roll with who you know, might be around you, but they're not really a person who's championing you. You know, they're not a person who's going to uh, encourage you to be your best self. They might be competing with you or, and this is very common, they have extremely maladaptive <laughs> that you so, don't know about. <laughs> or you know about. So they're going to encourage you to drink more, cheat more, lie more, mm. you know, to lay on your couch longer. You know, so you really want to be in a place where you have someone listening to who you are, where you are, and helping you decide what's next for you and pushing you to go towards that. 
Well, that's a perfect segue, and you're in the business, so you know. So if you've got some, if, if anyone's listening who has that friend that ST had just talked about, and you said, you know what, I need a real licensed therapist, how can we get in touch with you? rsgtherapy.com is the website. My um, social media handle on Instagram is Tia Brown Talks. You can reach out to me on rsgtherapy.com or Tia Brown Talks, and, and we can get the ball rolling. If you're ready to change, I'm here to help. That sounds great. And listen, we'll have you back before the end of the year because, Estia, it's always a challenge to try to set goals up for the new year. We all do different things and priorities and stuff like that. But this is such a year of the unknown. How going coming out of this year, going into next year is going to be something totally unique. So we'll have you back in a couple of months so we can prepare for that. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Hopefully I could be helpful. All right, you were. And we'll talk to you soon. Thanks again. Have a great day. That wraps up this edition of New York Sports and Beyond here on 98.7 ESPN. We'll see you tonight. It's the first edition of The Drive. The Drive is back. We'll see you tonight. Also during the week on ESPN New York tonight and right back here next Sunday morning on New York Sports and Beyond. For my incredible producer, the all-world Ray Santiago, I'm Larry Hardesty. The conversation continues next on 98.7 ESPN.